Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, you can text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. You can sign up very first link. You should get my daily show notes. You should because all the stuff I talk about, all the extra writing, it's there. You can get the podcast, the live stream, my social media links to Instagram. You should follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that. Um, uh, and I, because today is December 25th, or t- today is December 1st, I have to talk to you about December 25th because I do this on December 1st, so the very first day of December that I'm on radio every year. Why is Christmas on the 25th day of December? You, like me, more likely than not, learned that Christmas is on December 25th because early Christians used pagan Roman holidays and over time co-opted them, and December 25th was around Saturnalia, the Roman Empire's Midwinter Festival. There was also, on December 25th, uh, Emperor Aurelian, uh, placed Saul Invictus on December 25th, the fifth feast of the unconquered sun. And so the theory was that Christians could get heathen to convert to their religion, worshiping the son of God by saying, hey, this is the unconquered son of Saul Invictus. And it's December 25th. There's a problem that it took me being a grown-up to learn. Those explanations sound way more convincing than the evidence behind them. The theories only became popular in the 1800s as German theologians began engaging in comparative theology. But if you actually go back to the earliest of the Christian church, there is a lot of evidence that Christmas was being supported on December 25th before Aurelian made that the Feast of the Unconquered Son. In fact, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that Emperor Aurelian, who began one of the major post-Nero and persecutions of the church, that Aurelian put Saul Invictus on December 25th to combat Christianity's belief that Jesus was born that day. He was essentially saying, ah, those Christians, they're they're trying to co-opt a Roman god's holiday. In Egypt, less than 300 years after Jesus' death, Christians were celebrating his birth in the spring. The earliest references to Christmas come around 200 A.D. At a time, Christians were not incorporating other religious traditions into their own. In fact, Christianity at the time was trying very hard to keep its citizens outside of pagan festivals and activities. In fact, the reason that Jesus' birthday wasn't celebrated by the early church is that it was pagan to celebrate birthdays. It was something that the non-Christian religions did. They celebrated birthdays, so early Christians generally did not celebrate Jesus' birthday. They celebrated his death and resurrection. But within about 100 years— 
of 200 AD where there's evidence that um, people had started, Christians had started celebrating Jesus's birthday on December 25th. It was on the record and on the calendar, and Christians looked to December not because the pagans were celebrating Saturnalia or Sol Invictus, but because the early church had been very interested in when Jesus died. His death and his resurrection were what mattered. Andrew McGowan is of the Biblical Archaeological Society, and he says around 200 AD, Tertullian of Carthage reported the calculation for the 15th of Nisan in the year Jesus died was the equivalent to March 25th in the Roman calendar. Now, this is very simple for you to understand. There was at the time among the early Christians an idea that had carried over from the Jews that a prophet died on the same day he had been conceived. A prophet died when he had been conceived. It was a tradition that carried out from Jewish mysticism that uh, when Isaiah died, it was believed to be the day he had been conceived. Now, obviously different year, but on the same day. So, if the 14th of Nisan, according to Tertullian in 200 AD, was March 25th, even in Roman times, they knew it was a nine-month gestation period for a human child. So fast forward nine months from March 25th, where do you land? December 25th. Early church fathers and early church history believe prophets and martyrs of the church were conceived on the same day they died. So if Jesus was executed on March 25th, as they believed, as Tertullian believed, it was the anniversary of his conception. You go nine months, and there you have his birth. Separately, though, Remember at this time, the Christian church was divided between the eastern half of the western half of the Roman Empire. And so you had Tertullian in the west coming up with this idea of March 25th. Separately and more directly from the Bible, though, Luke 1 tells us that Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, was in the priestly division of Abasia. And based on a calculation of that, and the division of the priests in the temple in 70 AD, when the temple fell to the Romans, a number of early Christian historians presume Zacharias would have been in the temple in very late September, early October. Now, most later historians say that's probably not true, but at the time, the early church, that's when they thought. The Gospel of Luke tells us that when Zechariah left the temple, his wife conceived in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man who was named Joseph of the house of David, six months after that. So the early church concluded that six months after Zechariah left the temple would be March, as Mary's time of conception. You fast forward nine months and we're back to December. And the early church fathers in the East held Tertullian in the West in very high esteem. So you're like, gosh, We've already calculated that Mary would have conceived in late March. Tertullian believes Jesus would have been crucified March 25th. We believe the date of conception and the date of the death of the prophet is the same. So, gosh, it's got to be December 25th. must have been when he was born. 
Now, you can say they're all wrong, and this is the important thing here. You can say they're all wrong. You can say that's not true. You can say it's a lot of hooey. You can say it's a lot of mysticism. The point is they believed it. So there's actually a lot of evidence that the early Christian church celebrated Christmas on December 25th because they were really interested in the date of Jesus' crucifixion. Because they believed the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus is the most important part of Christianity. And it is, by the way. The resurrection of Christ, without it, Christianity does not exist. Without Jesus' resurrection, there's no reason to be a Christian. Paul writes about this. Without a physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, what's the point of being a Christian? There, There is none. We're fools. So they were very interested in when was he executed? And they came up with March 25th, a Friday. And because of their belief that he was executed on that day, they believed from their Jewish traditions that he had to have been conceived on a March 25th, 33 years prior. And because of that, they could count nine months and say, well, his birthday must have been December 25th. And there's a lot of evidence out there that Emperor Aurelian, in his persecutions of the church, needed to come up with some way to combat the church and decided to start celebrating Saul Invictus, the Feast of the Unconquered Son. Here are these Christians saying that their their guy, Jesus, conquered death. So we're going to say actually it was a Roman god and that they're confused and we're going to stop people from converting to these crazies and keep them within the Roman traditions. There's a lot of evidence for that. Here's the bottom line. One, I do this every year on the very first day of December when I'm on radio because I think it's important for you to understand that contrary to what so many secular historians say that, oh, well, the Christians were just co-opting Roman holidays to try to lure in people to Christianity, that's not actually true. The historic evidence is that the early Christians tried to keep themselves very separate from the pagan holidays and from the pagan traditions of Rome in order to stand out in a different way. It is also worth noting there's a lot of tradition— around the early church that showed they were celebrating December 25th pretty early on. The more important issue, though, is not when Jesus was, but that he is. We are in the holiday season now. Hanukkah, Christmas, the themes of Christmas. I actually have people at my house right now putting up Christmas lights outside because I couldn't be there. I, I, I got got a group to do it for me. Still got to put up my Christmas tree. I got to get decorated. But I want you to know this. You're in a time of year where a lot of people get depressed. They get depressed because they can't have the perfect Christmas. Everybody has an image of the perfect tree, the piles of presents under the tree, the family and the food and the traditions. Some people don't have them. Now's your time to start them. But let me tell you this. 
it's really important you understand this. Do not burden yourself so much with the desire for the perfect Christmas that you drive yourself into some level of depression and despair that you can't pull it off. The season is more about a child and a manger, a gift given, than about you. That is the perfect gift there, not what you're going to put under the tree. The perfect gift was already given, so you don't have anything to compete with. And for those of you who know people who are isolated and alone this holiday season, please consider spending time with them and getting them to your home. And if you and your family are looking for something nice to do for others, I can think of no better place than to go to ClarksChristmasKids.com. ClarksChristmasKids.com. And you and your children, you and your spouse, you and your significant other, you can make a cash donation or you can go pick out a child who is in foster care, who may not get a present in foster care, but for you. If you give a donation, Clark's Christmas Kids will take care of finding the child and the presents and matching them up, or you can pick. They have a list. And you can say, I want to give a buy a present for a child who is 5 or 10 or even 18. I want to buy for a boy or I want to buy for a girl. And volunteers, will you will see on the website at clarkschristmaskids.com the child and what they want, and you can buy it. And a child in foster care somewhere will get a present they might not otherwise get because you did it. You can put a smile on someone else's face, clarkschristmaskids.com. But on Christmas itself, it doesn't matter what day Jesus was born. What matters is that he was born and lives still. I want to tell you guys a little about a group I've been working with, Americans for Prosperity. Maybe you've heard of them. They're the largest grassroots network in the country, fighting to expand freedom and opportunity so that we can unleash prosperity in America again. Here's what I like about Americans for Prosperity. They focus on building movements at the community level, not Washington, D.C. That's actually how I first came to know them, in Georgia, helping rise up the Tea Party movement in 2010. They understand we're not going to find solutions in Washington. we got to take power out of Washington That's going to have to come from Americans like you outside the Beltway bubble. That's why I'm excited to partner with Americans for Prosperity to provide an effective platform where we can talk to our fellow Americans and advocate for solutions to the most critical challenges facing the country. I encourage you to learn more about Americans for Prosperity by going to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, glad to have you. We've got to talk about some ESG news. But before we get there, I want to play some exchanges Joe Kernan had uh, with what is it, uh, um, Biden's energy and economy advisor. Listen to, to this. Got two clips for you. Is it faster to get a, a payoff in Venezuela than it could be? Let me adjust the Venezuela. Hold on, Joe. Let, so let's talk about Venezuela invite, for a second. He doesn't invite Elon Musk when he's when he uh, President Biden when he's talking about EVs. He doesn't invite the major oil companies domestically to come to the White House to talk about increasing production. He, we go to Venezuela. These are the things that that the that, that critics would say don't make any sense. Yes, we are going to bend over backwards 
to help the Venezuelan dictator produce more oil than allow Americans to produce oil. Here's a little more. The refiners, are, you know, they're not, it's not a monolith. The people that bring down prices at the pump aren't the same ones that, that are dealing with gl- the higher global uh, oil prices. I don't know. I just... It just doesn't seem like you're you're quite like the president really all we hear about is profiteering and windfall profits taxes and I'm going to end drilling and I don't know what I would do if I were one of the uh, Well I, me- I think I think the the concept of windfall profit tax was the president said if there is not increased production if we don't see prices coming down and we see record profits, we're going to have to do something about it. He didn't say well, he was going to do it. He we said, can't, you blame it and, on Putin when it goes up, but, but then you, you say, well, they can lower it at any time. So I, that, that, that doesn't really make sense. No, what we're saying SPR? that we can increase production. Uh, SPR, go ahead. Well, yeah, I, I don't know if I'd invest money in trying to increase production if you're going to end drilling. If you keep saying that, tell him to stop saying that. You, you get to see him from time to time. I mean, he, it seems like he only listens to one you know, side of, of the argument, uh, the way out there side of, of things. Now, yeah, that that's true. The way out there side of things. You know, there's there's this clip uh, from the TV show Yellowstone, and it made the rounds yesterday on social media. It's a good clip to explain the problem with the way out side of things. The environmentalists out there. Uh, let me let me play this clip for you um, from Yellowstone. Let's see what other policies. Proposing suspend natural gas leases on state land in Powder River County to support the sage grass restoration project. Um, there's been a precipitous drop in sage grass numbers, and there's empirical evidence that gas exploration and extraction have a negative impact on the sage grass environment. And what effect do you think 7,000 acres of solar panels are going to have on their environment? There's no evidence that solar panels would have any impact on the sage-grouse environment. What do they do with the sagebrush when they put in the solar panels? They, 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 they would clear it before putting in the solar panels. They remove the sagebrush. Yes, sir. Sage-grouse live in the sagebrush. They do. And you don't think removing the sagebrush is going to have an effect on the population? I just said there's no evidence. You know what scares me about you, Stanley? You're serious. Yes. Yes. That is the problem. They, because, I mean, like this clip says, it's obvious and it is intuitive that if you get rid of the sagebrush, the sage grouse dies, and yet these people say, well, there's no evidence because they haven't gotten rid of the sagebrush, so they don't know. It's it's like we got to transition everything to batteries, except we can't because you still need oil production for even like tires and stuff. They they can't process the argument, and yet they're trying to make the argument, and it's going to fall flat with everyone. There's there's something really just just profoundly wrong with the people out there pursuing these things. It's just very very weird. The holidays are the most exciting time of the year, and if you want to enjoy them to the fullest, you need to get the best night's sleep ever, which is why you should be sleeping under Bull & Branch sheets. 
They're made of the finest 100% organic cotton threads on earth. And I got to tell you, I was on my front porch the other night. I'm just going to go off the script they gave me and tell you, uh, convinced a friend of mine through this ad you're hearing right now to buy them. And he said he and his wife got them, and she couldn't believe he paid for Bolin Branch sheets. They're not that expensive. He took advantage of the deal, but she's like, oh, sheets like this, they must be super expensive. They're not. And then she was like, really? That was after the first wash. Now they've had them for two years, and he says they are the softest sheets ever. Every wash, they get softer and softer. I'm telling you, he's a believer. And now his wife's like, can't we buy Bowling Branch for every bed in the house? And he's like, we can, and they're going to because they're the best sheets. So here now with Christmas, it's time to take advantage of this incredible deal. 25% off site-wide plus free shipping when you use the promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BolinBranch.com. That's BolinBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. Promo code ERIC, offer ends December 4th. Like my friend, who's a preacher, yes, they get softer every wash. They're the best sheets you will own. BolinBranch.com, promo code ERIC, offer ends December 4th. Greetings, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, let's talk about ESG. For those of you new to this, let me just explain to you. ESG stands for Environmental Social Governance. Yes, governance. What ESG is, is is basically a scorecard for companies on how their are their environmental policies aligned with the left? Are their social policies aligned with the left? Are their governance policies aligned with the left? Do they have uh, a certain percentage of non-white board members and executives, transgender, gay, uh, non-Christian, the like? Are there environmental policies? Are they divesting from oil and the like? For example, uh, FTX, Sam Bankman frieds Ponzi scheme company, its Bitcoin cryptocurrency exchange had a higher ESG score than ExxonMobil. Apple gets a good ESG score because it is all into environmental policies, uh, renewable energy, solar panels, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion stuff, social justice warrior nonsense. ESG is a way to force businesses to the left. ESG ruins businesses because it forces many businesses to adopt policies contrary to the being of the business. So, for example, if you're an oil company, you have uh, progressives try to take you over through shareholder purchases and push ESG on you, and you so you're an oil company they can't pump oil anymore. One of the ways ESG works is companies like Vanguard and BlackRock that manage people's four hundred one ks and pension funds. They get a say in how companies are run. Years ago, progressives realized they can't get government to impose certain things on companies, but if they could take over the shareholder votes, they could control the companies. So 
BlackRock manages the pension funds and retirement funds of many people. It manages something like a trillion dollars, something like that. It's massive. And BlackRock, Larry Fink is the head of BlackRock, and BlackRock is one of the companies that has pioneered ESG to force companies to the left to pay for employee abortions, to divest from uh, oil, to uh, ensure diversity, equity, inclusion, advanced transgender rights, all that sort of stuff. BlackRock and Vanguard are probably the two most notorious um, portfolio management companies, head funds, private equity groups and the like that push ESG on the companies. They control the pensions. They buy stock in company for a mass number of people. And they themselves are the ones who get to vote in the shareholder meetings for all these companies. There are proposals to allow individuals themselves the right. So Vanguard holds your 401k, Vanguard holds mine. And Vanguard buys into ExxonMobil as part of my 401k. I, because they bought it for me, I should have the right to exercise my shareholder votes, not Vanguard do it for me as a fiduciary. Same with BlackRock. BlackRock is the biggest, though. BlackRock is the one that's done the most damage to the free market. BlackRock uh, has taken over control of a bunch of government pensions. And the only way to damage BlackRock to stop the ESG nonsense is to get the portfolio away from them. So a lot of states have done this. The treasurer in Louisiana and the treasurer in West Virginia, they have told BlackRock, we're moving our pension funds to other groups because of what you've done. BlackRock has $10 trillion under asset management. But now it's down $2 billion. With one state, two billion in the grand scheme of ten trillion is not a ton, but it's a start. But it's not just that; uh, they're they're losing others as well in the process. Florida is the latest. Ron DeSantis has announced that Florida will be pulling its two billion dollars worth of assets out of BlackRock, the biggest divestment by a state opposed to the environmental, social, and corporate governance policies. And, of course, there are those already dismissing this, saying, well, it's not a whole lot of money in the grand scheme of things. And it's true. But Texas is divesting billions. Louisiana is divesting. At some point, it starts adding up. And it also provides notoriety and exposure to the issue. Having Florida divest is bigger than Louisiana or West Virginia because Florida has a bigger pension fund. It's a good thing that that's the case. It's a good thing. And more people need to push back on this. If if I could get out of Vanguard managing my 401k, I would. I can't given uh, the, my company. I don't have an option. It's Vanguard or bust. But I can and should, and I think I can and you can, demand the right to uh, control the voting on your pension on the companies that they own, that, that the company itself as fiduciary doesn't automatically and, and, and requiredly get that right, you can take it.
and I want to do that because I don't want Vanguard pushing ESG policies on companies. ESG policies are a backdoor for the left to control the free market. And they need to understand it, it's not good. Uh, Arthur Brooks used to be the head of the, um, what was it, AEI, American Enterprise Institute. And Arthur Brooks was on TV this morning as well. And Arthur Brooks was out saying companies need to understand that their employees, their woke employees, are tearing them all down. That it's not a good thing for companies' employees to be out there bullying and badgering the uh, management of the company to go woke. And that companies need to be mindful of the fact that when you've got these loud, angry, woke voices in your companies, what you're really doing is you're failing to recognize that your other employees are being bullied by them as well. I, I mean, I can't, you know, there's an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal yesterday of a woman. She was a partner at a major global law firm. And after the Dobbs decision ended Roe v. Wade, all of the women at the law firm were invited to appear together on a Zoom call to decompress about the decision. And this one female partner said she agreed with the decision that people of like mind should be able to live in states together and that uh, she actually thought that what Planned Parenthood did in black communities amounted to genocide, encouraging black women to get abortions. She's been fired from her law firm for anti-black speech. The law firm has come after her on behalf of the woke employees who were horrified. It's stuff like that that you got to push back on. And so much of that comes through these ESG policies. Companies have got to stand up against the wokes. Here's Arthur Brooks. He was on with Joe Kernan on CNBC. You know, the truth is what you're talking about here is just another example of the fact that activists are trying to bully companies, trying to bully citizens, trying to basically bring all of us into their culture war. And it's time for us to stand up. You know, I've talked about this now for the past six months because I've seen it increasingly. And, the, and I travel around. I talk to CEOs all the time. And one of the things that we need to tell CEOs they're really not aware of, for example, at this point, and ordinary citizens as well. I mean, look, all the best CEOs in America are watching us right now. Three percent of your employees are activists instead of working. And they're blowing up your Slack channel right now, demanding that you get involved in a culture war and make political statements. Don't do it. The rest of your employees are feeling bullied as well. Their co-workers are being bullied by these activists. It's time for us to say, I will not be conscripted into America's culture war. We're going to make good products. We're going to help people. We're going to lift each other up. And by the way, we don't hate each other in this country. I got the data, Joe. 93% of Americans say they hate how divided we become as a country. That other 7% who doesn't hate it, those are the activists saying if you buy a, if you buy a, a Tesla, it means that somehow you believe in hate speech. It's completely absurd and it's total bullying. It, it, it's done with without all on Twitter. It's total it t done with total impunity too. total impunity. All you have to do is don't play the game. 
don't give in to the wokes. There are more and more stories of people being bullied and fired by companies because they refuse to participate in pride events or transgender appreciation events. You got this woman lawyer who fired from her law firm. She's a partner of the law firm and they bought her out, forced her out for defending the pro-life position on a Zoom call. And what you're doing is you're signaling you're on a side in the culture war businesses. You're alienating yourself from half the country. You don't have to do that. Arthur Brooks is right, and he does have the data to back it up. We're talking about 3% of the nation being angry, malcontented souls. 3%. 3. You don't have to go down that road. You don't have to do it. And we should be applauding people like Ron DeSantis and the Florida State Treasurer for standing up against ESG. Because ESG is, is amounts to the same thing. It's a bullying campaign of the left to pressure corporations to conform to the policies of the left. You got to take a stand on this stuff. You've got to take a stand against this sort of stuff. One of the great American groups that takes a stand against this stuff, that fights against ESG, that fights against uh, the wokes and companies, that raises the awareness and provides the data to show that you can ignore these people without repercussion, is Americans for Prosperity. They have all the data. They believe in free markets and free people. They oppose ESG agendas. They understand it's the back door of the left, and they want to educate you about it. And one of the cool things they do is they don't just have a think tank in Washington. They have do tanks around the country where you go in and you do the work as an activist to spread the message of free markets, free people. They teach you how. You become smarter and better as a conservative activist. All you do is go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. They probably have a chapter near you, and if they don't have a chapter near you, you can help them create one. They've got them all over the country. Florida, Georgia, I know. Uh, Alabama, they're starting one. they got one in Ohio, around the country. You can partner with Americans for Prosperity. They give you all of the data to sharpen your conservative arguments You already see eye to eye. Let them give you the data to make your arguments even better. They teach you how to be a great activist, to be articulate in your positions, to know what's going on in the country, and to find the causes you care about to take action. You want to be able to take action to move the country? You need to partner with a group like AFP, americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Um, Kanye West is having an episode. He has now referred to himself as a Nazi, said he likes Hitler, is complaining about the Jews and the Zionists. Listen, real serious point here for those of you on the right. Candace Owens and others were warned. They wanted to platform the guy. They wanted to excuse his statements. He's clearly in the middle of a mental health episode. And people wanted to profit from his celebrity by having him on. He's now on Alex Jones' show, making that nut job look to be the reasonable person. 
He is a constant reminder, Kanye West is, that just because someone is disliked by the left does not make him the good guy. There are so many people these days that define the good guys by who hates them. It's just, um, it's not defensible. It's not defensible. And I just really think that you got to be careful about picking someone and saying, oh, our side wants to, people on the right are so desperate for celebrities that it doesn't matter who they are. If, if they if they mouth things you say, you, you get them and then you own them when they go nuts and they say all sorts of crazy things. You do. Kanye West has serious problems. He needs our prayers, not our accolades. He needs to get off the media tours. Like that Army Hammer dude. He was the actor. He was in so, some uh, popular things. And uh, he was actually, they were starting a, a franchise for the man for uncle from uncle. And he, well, turns out he's a cannibal. Like he fetishized like killing and eating a romantic partner. Uh, very bizarre stuff. His wife and kids wound up fleeing from him or some such. Just just awkward. Um, and you just, you, you, you got these celebrities, they melt down and everyone around them goes down with them. Uh, no one was glomming onto that guy, but they were Kanye West and, and it happens all the time. I have never understood this desire for celebrity. I you know, I used to always joke that the the left was the cult of personality around Barack Obama, the way they celebrated him, and then along came Donald Trump and I realized, gosh, people on the right are desperate for celebrity as well. And you should never wrap yourself in the identity of another person and become such a fan of that person. So my kid loves Taylor Swift. My daughter is a massive Taylor Swift fan. But I have to tell you, my daughter, who loves Taylor Swift, is willing to separate the art from the artist because my daughter is fairly has grown into being fairly conservative, and she doesn't like Taylor Swift's social positions on a lot of things, but loves her music. And I'm glad you should be able to separate the art from the artist. The, and this goes to something Arthur Brooks was talking about, how people on the left are like, oh, I can't buy a Tesla anymore. Uh, so Alyssa Milano, the very not bright um, Hollywood actress, she sold her Tesla and got an electric car from Volkswagen. And only after buying her Volkswagen did she learn that it was a company created by the Nazis. And she got rid of her Tesla because she decided Elon Musk is a Nazi. Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant thinking there. These people are not that bright. It's, you know, it's one of the reasons, like uh, this panel I was talking to with Washington yesterday, I, that some of them want same-day voter registration, and I'm opposed to it. And it's like, you got to take the emotion out of voting. You got to take the emotion out of voting. You allow same-day registration. You're allowing people in passion to show up at the polls on Election Day furious, and they haven't actually thought things out. They're just going in with raw emotion and power. That's why we should discourage it. We should make it harder to vote, not easier to vote. 
And once people take the time to register to vote, then make that as easy as possible. But take steps to slow down the process. It's also why Republicans should oppose Kevin McCarthy as Speaker. It would necessitate a slowdown of that process.